And so I think that, you know, if you can be compassionate with yourself to say, hey, look, I don't have it all figured out, but that's the whole reason I'm waking up tomorrow. I mean, if you wake up and you think you've got it all figured out, well, then what's the point of being here? Welcome to the Impact Entrepreneur Show. My name is Mike Flynn, and I'm stoked you've decided to join me on this journey to bring about a massive and positive change in the lives of others. Every week, you're going to join me behind closed doors, where I will introduce you to entrepreneurs, leaders, and innovators from a variety of industries to learn how their contributions are impacting the lives of others and how they are having a game-changing impact in the world. Thanks for investing your time with me today. Now, Brace for Impact. You and I are a lot alike. We're busy and sometimes we get stuck and we need tools to help us get unstuck. And this is why I'm such a huge fan of the Unstuck app. And you can go back and listen to episode one to hear why. But today I'm even more pumped because the Unstuck team has just launched an online platform called Life Courses to help us make a change in our lives by first helping us understand what's holding us back and then helping design a personalized action plan for moving forward. I just started the first Life Course myself and it's a high impact, awesome experience, something you and I can do together. I know what you're saying, I'm too busy and still Life Courses is designed specifically for busy people like you and me, and you're worth it, I'm worth it. So head over to unstuck.com forward slash impact and sign up today. I'd love to hear back from you. Send me your stories via email at info at theimpactentrepreneur.net or the Impact Entrepreneur Show Facebook page. And of course, we will link to all of this awesomeness in the show notes. Welcome back to the Impact Entrepreneur Show. I am very excited to introduce our guest today. But before I do, I want to tell you about our exclusive Facebook group called the Impact Insiders. I've created this community where we can all connect more intimately and have a back and forth exchange of ideas and resources to empower each of us to become better impact entrepreneurs. The connections forged here will be exclusive and not shared anywhere else. So go to theimpactentrepreneur.net forward slash group and sign up, and we will add you to this exclusive Facebook group ASAP. Now back to the show. Today's guest in round two of the leadership series is Amy K. Hutchins. She's a speaker, author, trainer, and business strategist, a former executive of a billion-dollar global consumer products company, and awarded Vistage UK International Speaker of the Year. Amy K. is a catalyst for producing sustainable solutions to a leader's most pressing challenges— More than 40,000 executives in nine countries have benefited from her keen insight and intuitive understanding of the issues leaders face. Amy Kay also served as a senior executive vice president for one of the largest sales and marketing firms in the U.S., was a chosen member of National Geographic's Educator Advisory Committee, and now serves as the founder and intelligence activist of Amy Kay International Incorporated, an executive development firm focused on leadership development, healthy team cultures, and innovative thinking. 
with clients including AT&T, IBM, Wells Fargo, Walmart, John Paul Mitchell Systems, Dematic, Brighton, Cyber, AD, ABT, Digitech Systems, Herman Miller, and hundreds more, Amy Kay and her team travel the world helping senior executives lead and collaborate more effectively. Today, we're going to talk about her newest book, The Secrets Leaders Keep. This book is phenomenal. I read it cover to cover and related so deeply to so many of the chapters and the secrets that these various leaders hold to themselves, and I could relate to it on so many different levels, and I'm sure you will too. So without further ado, here is Amy Kay, Brace for Impact. Amy Kay Hutchins, welcome to the Impact Entrepreneur Show. I am so excited to have this conversation with you and to share the secrets leaders keep with my audience because this book really, really resonated with me and hit hit me deeply on so many levels. Oh, so welcome good. to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. You are very welcome. I always kick things off, and I know I know that you know this because you sent me an email. I kick things off with a, a few kind of warm-up questions, if you will. The first one is, if you could pick any superpower, what would it be, and how can entrepreneurs apply the essence of that superpower in our daily lives? I love this question. In fact, this got me jazzed and my brain buzzing, so I'm, I'm glad we're starting here. I have, as an entrepreneur myself, I have always wanted the superhero power of being able to see three steps down the road for the ripple effect of the mm. decision that I'm making today. Mm. And so I would love to be able to say, okay, if I choose option A, instead of having life show me the consequences and the unintended consequences, I would love to reduce my anxiety to say, okay, five steps, seven steps down the road, this is what your outcome is going to be. And I think the best analogy that I can make for it, Mike, is have you ever played Spider on a computer? Have you ever downloaded that free game? No. So you're playing Spider Solitaire. And there's this cheat sheet that you can sort of go to where you ask for a hint. And it sort of shows you that if you play this card, this is the next four or five moves that you can make. And I'm sure there's a lot of apps where they'll give you a hint. Chess is probably another one. But I would love that as a superpower to just know that, hey, before I pull the trigger, before I make this decision, what's it going to be like, you know, six months down the road? I think that that's a really interesting, and, and it kind of like if I were to if I were answering the question, how can entrepreneurs apply that uh, that superpower in our daily lives? I know how I would answer it on a practical level, but and, and maybe I'll answer it after you answer it. Mm -hmm. But how 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 can, from your point of view, how can entrepreneurs apply that superpower every day? I think it's about asking the bigger, better, better, bolder questions first. And I don't mean that as a trite response. I mean, sometimes we really just need to take a deep breath and say, okay, let me ask this. What is the ripple effect of this? You know, if I make this decision, what are some of the possible consequences? What are some of the possible unintended consequences? You know, what might happen in the market? What might happen to our brand integrity or our business partnerships? You know, how might that affect me personally? Where is that outcome going to be with the family? How might so-and-so react? You know, what's What's the, the worst scenario? What's the best case scenario? And I don't think we actually take the time to think things through. I think sometimes mm. we think in circles and we'll repeat the same story rather than doing this sort of linear sequential, well, then let's just take it one step further. If we get that, then what would be the logical next reaction? Or if we take that step, what would be the next logical? 
and just spending, it doesn't take a lot of time, but just spending a few more minutes reflecting, evaluating, and predicting before we actually pull that trigger. Yeah, you know, this is one of the reasons why I'm so excited for today's call because you are the queen of questions. I am. <laughs> and, 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 you know, this kind of segues into the, the next warm-up question, which is about mentorship, which is one of the key ways that I think entrepreneurs can, you know, live out that superpower and try to get those see ahead two or three steps by finding a mentor who has been there, done that, has the experience and might be able to protect you from making some of the same mistakes that he or she made along the way. So with that in mind, can you tell us about a story of a mentor who's impacted your life and maybe shaped your outlook and decisions that you've made along the way? Oh, wow. Yes. I, there's, there's been quite a few. I think that I could go back to one of my earliest ones. And before I went corporate, before I did sales and operations and all that path, I started off as an elementary school teacher. And I really do believe that one of the first and probably most impactful mentors that I've ever had was a fifth grade teacher who then became my fifth grade mentor when I did an internship internship program in an elementary school. And she was all about instilling curiosity and the love of learning. And I think that has just stayed with me for everything that I do, no matter whether it's a corporate job or having gone out on my own, she taught me to be curious. And then she taught me how to help other students be curious. And that stayed with me. Even, even when I was in corporate America and I had direct reports, my number one goal was how do I keep you engaged? How do I keep you excited? How do I, I instill the love of learning no matter what it is that you're doing so that you can sustain that passion? Um, that sounds a little trite, but sometimes there's truth in the triteness. Well, uh, you know, cliches exist for a reason. <laughs> you know, what what is a way that that she taught you to be curious? I mean, I'm sure she didn't say to you, "Hey, we're going to sit down and I'm going to teach you how to be curious." So, how did she how did she teach you to do that? And how did you recognize? At what point did you recognize? Oh, this is me being curious, and this is how it's going to affect my leadership capabilities. Yeah, she was, she had a lot of flexibility, I think, in the way that she taught, which also went into my management style. She introduced a concept to me when I was, when I was 14 years old, I was an intern. So here I am in high school, you know, I'm teaching fifth graders. There's not that big of an age gap, huge maturity gap, but not that big of an age gap. And so when I was 14, she taught me this phrase called guided choices. And guided choices was really about giving people the freedom to explore their own passion. In other words, Yes, you have to go read a novel, or yes, you have to do a science project, but out of all these frameworks, out of all the quote-unquote choices that I'm going to give you, and I'm going to put some guardrails around it, where do you pick? What, what excites you? What gets you motivated? And that forces you to be self-aware. You know, which of these topics am I excited about? What do I want to learn more about? What skill sets do I want to apply to this? And so when I was an entrepreneur, that was a lot of the, you know, people will tell you, and, and Mike, I'm, this is a little bit of a tangent, but this will have a full connection. People will tell you to follow your passion. And I think that's a crock because I think mm -hmm. that's really just a, a part of it. I think that you have to say, yes, follow your passion. And where is there a need in the world? And where does that passion, that need intersect with your skill set? And there you're going to have profit. You know, I know people that are passionate about taking naps. They're, they're not going to be that profitable. But 
if you put all three together and you go back to that concept that she taught me, guided choices, it really is that you just can't be chaotic. You have to say, okay, within the guardrails of what the world needs or within the guardrails of what I'm passionate about or in the guardrails of this job or these expectations, where am I curious? What's intriguing? What, what's um, captivating my interest? Where can I be creatively original? How can I get energized and generous? And I think, again, if you'll notice, I've dropped into questions already. Yeah, no, I know. I was just going to say, I, I love that concept of guided choices. And if you're the queen of questions, she's the queen mother of questions because she obviously, <laughs> she obviously, your fifth grade teacher obviously taught you a tremendous amount and it's, it's shaped your entire outlook and path and how you, how you approach the world, which, which leads me to some of the next question, which is why are you an entrepreneur? Can you tell us what the impact moment was? that launched you on this trajectory to take Amy K International to the place where it is and beyond? I think there's a lot of seminal moments. I think that there were a lot of moments where I just realized that I wanted to play bigger or a concept worked, and I didn't want it to be li limited to the 30 people that were in front of me that day. I think I wanted... Um, a bigger impact. I wanted to share the wealth. I think that one of my core values is generosity. And I mean it sincerely that it was sort of the, let's give a lot away. Let's share this. Um, I had somebody come up to me a couple months ago and they asked me, you know, why do, why do you show up and give so many of your tools away? And I said, because I have so many more. I mean, there's just so much. And I could train and I could speak every single day until the day that I die, and I would probably still touch a very small percentage of the population on this planet. So I just believe in playing bigger and finding a bigger stage and sharing it. I don't believe in hoarding. I, this is never the way that I've been wired. Right before you stepped into and launched Amy K International, you were working for Corporate America, and did you find it hindered your ability to make some of these guided choices or did, or were you working at a place where they encouraged this uh, curiosity and, and openness to new ideas and thinking big? Oh, I wish I had a Pollyanna story for you. The, the, the <laughs> truth is, is I'm also a little anti-authority and I don't like constraints. I don't like being told no. I don't like being told, well, this is the way that we've always done it. So you're going to do it the way that we've always done. I, when I hear, the, when I hear no, I'm like, okay, well, game on. Because <laughs> I'm going to find a way to make it a yes. And that is a little bit about how I'm wired. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs will resonate with that. We don't want to be stifled. And we don't mm -hmm. want somebody telling us that from nine to five, you know, put in the cubicle time, follow the rules, collect your paycheck, and you'll have a life of fulfillment. That, this is not fulfilling to me. Yeah, that that is that is a trap, and I think that most entrepreneurs are are the same way. I mean, I'm I'm the same way. I've I've got to uh, be forging a path, and and the status quo just doesn't doesn't meld well with me with Mike Flint. You know, I am pumped to get into the book, and I and I, I forgot to tell you that you are going to be the second interview in a series that I'm doing on 
specifically on leadership. So the episode right before yours is with Jocko Willink, who wrote Extreme Ownership, How U.S. Navy SEALs Lead and Win. And the episode right after yours is with Bernie Swain, the founder of the Washington Speakers Bureau. So I'm, this is, this is, yeah, yeah, it's, you're going to be part of a really cool series that I'm doing for my listeners. So in your Amazon best-selling book, The Secrets Leaders Keep, you share many secrets from the perspective of 14 leaders. What are the the most common that we that we all relate to and might learn from? Oh, there's there's several, and I think that that was part of the reason that I ended up writing short stories is I wanted that creative perspective so that people could identify. Hey, you know, she's spent 20 some years with leaders. I I know what makes their stomach turns. I know what makes their palms sweat. I know what keeps you up at 3 a.m. And so the most common thing that I heard was, well, it's lonely at the top. I'm like, well. It wouldn't be if we started talking to each other because y'all have the Mm -hmm. same issues. And one of the first ones that I've noticed specifically about entrepreneurs is the imposter syndrome. And this is one that I think that's starting to actually get quite a bit of awareness. And the imposter syndrome is when entrepreneurs experience feelings of inadequacy or chronic self-doubt that that persist even when results indicate that the opposite is true. So even when they've gotten tremendous results or they've gotten you know profitable joint ventures or capital investments, entrepreneurs still feel like they're constantly looking over their shoulder, waiting for somebody to say, "Hey, you're a total fraud. You don't know enough. You know you're you're kind of skating on thin ice." And so they're constantly looking to be caught. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. I related to to all of these at, at different points, by the way, and and. I think that everybody who reads the book is going to find a little bit of themselves inside of it. And one of the things that really stuck out with me in regard to the imposter syndrome is you get to this point where you've you've reached this this certain level of success, and now you feel like you should know all the answers, but you don't. And so how can we combat that? How can we overcome that feeling of, in ag- of being an imposter, like I, sh- I should have all of the answers, but I don't. And how can I gain the courage to say I don't know? Well, that you know, it's interesting because even in the story, uh, one of the things that I laugh about, and I get a lot of um, direct messages on Twitter about this, somebody will point out that this incredible entrepreneur who's suffering from the imposter syndrome gets the home acronym wrong for the lakes. So in the story, we talk about if you use the HOMES acronym, you'll get um, all the lakes. You'll get Lake Heron, Ontario, Michigan, Erie, and Superior, except that he even forgets the S on the word HOME. So here he is. He sold this you know, this multi-million dollar business that he created. He's feeling like an imposter, but he's like, but it's things like HOMES that keeps me, you know, keeps me saying, lets me know I've got it all figured out. And even then he gets the initial wrong. But we'll get a <laughs> lot of people that will write to me like, he forgot the yes, he forgot this. I'm like, no, it's on purpose. Because even when we know a lot, it's still a journey. And I think that that's one of the things that's most important for entre- entrepreneurs to remember is that there is no destination. And every single person is on this journey. And so that actually leads me to kind of a a segue of, to answer your question, there's another secret that a lot of us keep, and that's the comparison condition. And it's Mm. one of the worst forms of self-abuse, especially for entrepreneurs. But we live in the world of, well, I should have more, or I, I should be more. 
and we're constantly looking at the person in the lane next to us, and it slows us down. And so Mark Twain said years ago, Mike, that you know comparison is one of the worst forms of self-abuse, and I really agree. And so to get over the imposter syndrome, to get over the whole comparison condition, there's two things that I tell people, especially entrepreneurs, stay focused on your journey. Stay on your path and know that you're going to make mistakes and everybody else is mistake, making mistakes too. There's no way that Oprah got to where she is or Richard Branson got to where he is without making a ton of mistakes. We just don't see them all. You know, that, that is one of the, the, when I read that book, the comparison condition section is, is one that really I had to be honest with myself and acknowledge that I really struggle with. And and I'm a, I'm a very thoughtful person. I, I want to have an impact in the lives of others. And that's why I called the show The Impact Entrepreneur Show. And and yet I question in 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 the podcast, in my financial planning business, you know, whether I'm enough, whether I'm going to be able to have the impact. And because I see what other people are doing out in the world. And so that advice that you just gave is so powerful. And I honestly could talk for hours about this stuff, but I know that we don't have hours. We only have, you know, about 40 minutes <laughs> left. But, um, but one of the things that the other common secrets, two, two that really struck out, stuck out to me were one, the choosing to live, how choosing to live a life in a state of self-doubt is really selfish and prevents you from showing up in the world and the other one is the the chapter on leaving the hood. Oh, okay. And and that reminded me of um, the the book that the the guy that that wrote the uh, the testimonial on top of your uh, gosh his name is totally oh, escaping Marshall me. Oh, Goldsmith. Yes, what yeah. he wrote a book called uh, "What Get What Got You Here Won't Get You There." Correct. Is that yeah? And and that kind of reminded me of of that chapter of leaving the hood. So I don't know. Maybe you can unpack the the. It's self-criticism, fixation, and, yeah, and the need to let go of the hood. Well, I think, you know, let, let's go, let's kind of tie this all together. We're, we're all going to make mistakes, and we're all going to screw up. And we're all going to have some moments where if, if, we'd be, if we haven't been raised by wolves, we're going to be a little bit embarrassed or, or have that moment of, wow, you know, mea culpa, I know better. And, and now that I know better, I really should have done better. That's human. That's the human journey. And I think that if we can understand that we're not alone in that, that just, just because we've made a mistake or we have some past transgression, we can't let it define us for who we are today. I mean, one, one of the things that I talked about um, the other day in an interview is somebody said, well, you know, these big moments define us. I said, well, yes and no. It's also the hundreds of decisions that we make every day that define us. I mean, you get a chance to wake up every single day and say, well, this is who I'm going to be today. And that doesn't have to be the person that you were. And that goes back to leaving the hood. You know, at some point, we all have to say goodbye to the negative naysayers, those primary programmers of the negative messaging that wanted to limit our potential because we're not in elementary school anymore or we're not the little kid in the neighborhood anymore. We have to let go of our neighbors, our initial community to actually maximize and reach our potential. I mean, if everybody said, well, this is who you're going to be at age five. That would be a very sad and limited world. And mm -hmm. so one of the things that I think that's really powerful for entrepreneurs to realize is that if we, if we kind of put, 
imposter syndrome together with self-criticism, together with um, the comparison to leaving your hood, every single day, you need to wake up and say, there is room for me in this world. I don't need to be competitive. I don't need to hoard. I don't need to be filled with fear. There is room for my gifts and talents for me to play today. That That's really powerful. And it kind of gets summed up in the concept of of needing to be vulnerable, right? Yeah. With with yourself and with others. But as leaders, and you talk about this in the book, and there's other great books out there about the importance of vulnerability. You know, as leaders, it's it's something that's perceived at least as being incredibly uh, risky to to do that. So well, let's redefine vulner- it. Can we redefine yeah, okay. it? Yeah. yeah. I mean, so a lot of us, when we think of vulnerability, we immediately picture, you know, this couch with a box of Kleenex, you know, in the therapist's office. But that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about your ability to say, hey, look, I know a lot. I'm really smart in this domain. You know, I've got some domain expertise, so to speak, but I don't have it all figured out and I'm never going to have it all figured out. I mean, we live in the information age. What was factually correct a year ago, you know, might be questioned today. If we can just ask for help, if we can say, hey, look, I don't have to be the mastermind of everything, but I'm going to own this. And I'm still going to reach out and ask for help, whether it be a cross-functional reach out or across industries or to the person that, you know, maybe you've had an issue with in the past. It's just vulnerability isn't defined as therapy. It's defined as, am I comfortable and secure in who I am that I could admit that it's going to take somebody besides me to achieve some success? This episode is brought to you by the Lawton Marketing Group, a full-service advertising and design agency specializing in websites, social media, apps, logos, and more. Based in Oklahoma, they work with clients across the nation from small businesses to large corporations and everything in between. You can find them right now on the web at www.lawtonmg.com or call them at 580-275-275. 2063. Connect with them now for a complimentary competitive analysis of your website. Just tell them the impact entrepreneur told you to call. Is it safe to, let's say you're in like a sales situation and you're developing this relationship with this client. And usually like, you know, when you go into a situation where you're trying to pitch a product or a solution, you're kind of puffing your chest and waving your feathers and all that stuff. Is it is it advisable to acknowledge that you don't ha- you you're an expert in X, but you don't have all the answers? And the reason why you should work with me is because I'm going to ask for help and and find somebody who does have the answers instead of trying to pretend. Well, I don't believe in faking it. I, I think that faking it will come back to bite you in the butt. And I never believe in like, oh, yeah, you know, I got the answer to this. And then, you're, and then you're scrambling in the background. But I do think there's a way to message it graciously and still sound confident. And that is like, for instance, if I said to you, hey, look, I can talk to you about leaders. I can talk to you about their secrets all day long. I can talk to you about innovation and problem solving and sales. That is my wheelhouse. If you've got an issue where you need um, Six Sigma intelligence, that's, that's not my area of expertise. You know, I, I can refer you to somebody. I can find you an expert on it. But notice how I led that. 
I didn't come out and say, oh, yeah, I'm not a Six Sigma expert. We'll we'll have to figure that one out. I mean, a lot of it is I'm confident in what I know. I'm also confident in my ability to find you a solution in the area that I don't know. But it's all about framing at that point. Yeah, that is I love that. I mean, that's incredibly powerful. And just that little snippet myself, I'm going to listen to that one over and over again. (laughs) What would you say to someone who's good at what they do, but it's not, they don't feel satisfied in that it's, it's really allowing them to live up to the potential of who they know themselves to be? Well, that's part of the journey. I mean, that's, I think all, I don't think you get to be an adult without saying, Hey, look, there's things that I've mastered and there's things that would make me a richer, deeper, more well-educated, thoughtful responder to life. I mean, that's, I, I said to, um, we did a video the other day and I actually scrapped it because I, I, well, I didn't articulate it well and I want to go back and address it. So maybe I can do a better job today. I don't think to be a really good leader or a really good entrepreneur, you can be innocent. And what I mean by that is once you've lost your innocence, once you've had that hey, I don't have it all figured out, or oh, I just made a huge mistake, or wow, I can't believe I just did that to somebody else or to myself, you lose your innocence. But it's that moment where you actually develop compassion for other people, and I think it helps you play better. And so I think that you know, if you can be compassionate with yourself to say, hey, look, I don't have it all figured out, but that's the whole reason I'm waking up tomorrow. I mean, if you wake up and you think you've got it all figured out, well, then what's the point of being here? So, yeah. I, you know, I, I think that at some point you have to have compassion with yourself, but it means you're going to lose some innocence along the way. When I was reading your book, I was I was at uh, a big family vacation, and and my sister and I were were actually talking about your book while we were sitting by the lake, and we talked about um, the difference between being positional and relational, and how one can lead to empathy and compassion and the other just leads to continued dis- disruption and destruction of relationships. So what you just said is is very powerful and it, we shouldn't be afraid to make mistakes and to get those battle scars because it's going to help us going all the way back to your fifth grade teacher. You know, she learned from somebody and, and somebody taught her how to make guided, curious choices. Mm-hmm. And, and look at where it's led you today. And now we're here on this show and who knows where it's going to go in the future. You are the queen of questions, as we've talked about, and you utilize questions in basically every tool. So can you share your philosophy behind that? Maybe maybe some of the ways that people can begin to formulate questions. I, I love the concept of asking questions. And I always am thinking about how can I ask this question better? I love questions because I'm a geek (laughs) and I I made up a business adage a long time ago and I I prove it true every single time that I work with a company. And that is change your thinking, change your behavior, change your results. And I'll say that again. It's change your Mm. thinking, change your behavior, change your results. But you can't get a different result if you're thinking in the same way. So it starts with thinking and the very best way to raise the level of critical thinking in a dialogue is to ask the bigger, better, better, bolder question. And so I, you know, again, geek that I am, I have been running meetings for over a decade on question-based agendas. So if 
Mike, if you if you and I meet at you know 9 a.m. next Tuesday morning to discuss the marketing campaign, and it's your meeting, I'm going to go to that meeting, and I'm going to sh- go show up to it, and I'll and I'll bring my A game. If it's my meeting and I'm facilitating it, I'm going to put an agenda together of questions because I know that the due diligence that I do ahead of time to make sure that the two or three questions that are in front of us are good ones is going to completely change the quality of the dialogue and change the outcome that we get. Mm. And so I have been using questions to drive sales performance and productivity, to drive innovation and breakthroughs, to um, solve leadership Um, debate and conflict areas inside companies. The idea of getting together with smart people and also co-creating an agenda of questions brings together something that's called collective intelligence. Mm. And so let's just say the meeting next Tuesday at 9 a.m. has five of us in it. Well, if five of us all get together and bring our two or three best and brightest questions we're going to have an incredible dialogue versus we all get in at 9 a.m. We look at each other like, oh, we should have ordered coffee. And what are we really doing? Oh, yeah, we're trying to go through the marketing campaign. I like the fact that just taking five minutes ahead of time to put some effort into it changes the outcome of our face-to-face time, which is so precious today. Do you have an example of like maybe one or two or three like really powerful questions that you hear or see or think about often? Oh, yes, I do. <laughs> um, I have a lot of them, but let me let me give you a couple of my favorites. One of them is how do we define an ideal client relationship? Now, this is something that you think you've answered, and yet I cannot tell you how many times I sit down with a CEO or an entrepreneur and I say, "Well, tell me what your woolly mammoth really looks like, sounds like, feels like," and they're like, "Well," and they'll give you some vague description of a saber toothed tiger that will come back and eat everybody in the cave. So I love for people to get clear on who are you chasing? Now, you might have more than one definition. You might have one more than one customer demographic, but every single person in your organization should be able to say what your woolly mammoth looks like, sounds like, and feels like. And then you know what you're chasing. And then and what's the second example? Second example would be how do we define um, ideal performance and productivity? Let's go with that one. That's another one of my favorites. And the less fancy way of saying that, how do we define ideal performance and productivity is what does an A player look like for our organization? And so I did, here's a great example. Just last week, I did this with a group of millennials and they're like, oh, we're all rock stars. And I was like, well, of course you are. But let's just say your boss comes to you and gives you a to-do list and you do everything on the list. I said, are you a rock star? And they're all like, absolutely. I said, really? You just did everything that somebody asked you to do. I said, where I come from, that's a C. You just satisfied my requirements. Well, the light bulb started to go off. And Mm -hmm. they were like, oh, you're right. We're probably just really good soldiers. I said, yes, that's a great example. You're an awesome soldier. So then, of course, I went into question mode. And I said, what would an A player do? And they started to brainstorm. Well, we'd add to the list. Or you know, we'd meet and exceed the deadlines. Or we'd go help somebody with their list. And I was like, yes. And once they started to co-create what an A player looked like, they could get excited about changing their own behaviors. Oh, I like that. That's that's really powerful. I want to go back to the first one for a yeah. second and give you an example. Like, so let's say in a financial planning practice, okay, that the question the question of identifying your ideal client profile, and, and somebody says, well, my ideal client has a, a a bunch of characteristics, but the two most important are. 
that they love someone other than themselves and that they respect and count on outside advice. Is that enough? I, you know, it can be. But it can also be the, all right, let's dig a little deeper. Let's make those the top two. Maybe we'll weight those a little heavily, but then can we come up with five or six others? And so when you've got eight to 10 that are what I call loosely defined, then what Mm -hmm. I do is I go through and I'll have a group of people say, okay, let's just for sake of easy math, you've got 10 characteristics of your ideal um, client. And then I'll say, okay, so we've got these 10 characteristics on a scale of one to 10, Rate your client on all of them and let's get an aggregate. Let's get some average. And let's just say we get 7.2. Then I'll say, okay, Mike turned out to be a 7.2. So out of these 10 characteristics, what can we do to get him to an eight in the next 30, 60, 90 days? And we have 10 places to play. Well, that really helps salespeople and entrepreneurs specifically get focused on how they grow a relationship. And I think it's important, Mike, to point out, this isn't about having the perfect 10. It's not about having the ideal. It's about clarity and focus for what you're chasing and how you grow. I think that that's a really helpful tool, though, in, in life and any relationship, because it's going to it's gonna improve not only on a, in a business sense, but it's also going to improve that relationship just from maybe a transaction to a, ultimately a friendship and a legacy type client. Absolutely. And that's one of the things that we talk about too, is that we, we talk about it not as serving clients, but really growing relationships and partnerships. And it sounds like semantics, but it's not. That infiltrates your culture. When your people start talking about clients as, well, let's talk about our partners. Let's talk about growing the relationship. People's behaviors change. You, one of the things you talk a lot about too are agendas and everybody's got an agenda and everybody using an agenda and I've got an agenda in front of me right now but you talk about question based agendas yes. can you what what is what are they and how how can we use those well it goes back to the idea that I want to raise the level of critical thinking so for instance this is an example i can ask you what one of your business goals is this year and you're going to tell me and there's going to be no critical thinking required because you're going to recall something that you already want Maybe you want more guests. Maybe you want to do the leadership series. Maybe you want to make a certain amount of money or you want to increase your following. But you're going to recall some factual tidbit in your brain and there will be no critical thinking. But as soon as I take your business objective and I say, well, how are you going to do that profitably? Or how are you going to do that the most operationally efficient? I'm going to force your brain to do what? Work. To work. And so that's where I say, if we can take the time to come up with two or three questions before the dialogue starts that's really going to raise the level of thinking, then we're going to change the quality of the conversation. For instance, you and I both, I'm, sh- I'm going to assume, have prepared for today's conversation. We're not winging it. And that makes it a much richer and efficient and robust dialogue than if you guys, or if, or if the two of us got on the call and the first question to me was, oh, MK, what's going on? And, oh, did you catch the game last night? And 20 minutes later, you finally look at me like, well, we should probably be talking about something, a substance. <laughs> <laughs> you want to know what I did with your book after I read it? What did you do with my book? So I, I highlighted like, you know, mul- like multiple pages throughout the each chapter and the questions. And what happens a lot of times with with people when they read books is they put them back up on the bookshelf and they collect dust and they never look at them again, right? Yeah. 
So I did something brilliant. I, th- you're the second book I've done this with. I'm giving myself a little pat on the back, and I'm, <laughs> okay, and I'm, I'm giving I'm giving you a tool that you could tell everybody else to to do. You've heard of Evernote, right? Oh, absolutely. So I took a picture. I captured an image of each page that I highlighted with notes on it, and I captured that for each chapter in Evernote. And I can you go back and refer to that at any time without the book. It's always with me in my pocket. I did that as I was preparing for our interview today. Oh, that is creative. And I like that. I want to give that tip to you and to all the listeners. Use Evernote, create a notebook, and and do it for every book that you read where you ha- receive meaningful information and value and want to refer back to it. You know, in my previous interview with Jocko Willink, who, who aired right before you, he shared a story about one of his uh, fellow Navy SEALs who was having a, a challenging time in intense situations making a decision. So he helped him come up with the concept of relaxing, looking around, and then making a call. And you talk a lot about the, the importance of the time between the reaction and the response. And so maybe you can share a little bit of perspective on what we can do, especially in when we're encountering maybe confrontational situations or situations where we're back up on our heels, where we can ask ourselves some important questions or pause in those few seconds. We've all been there, Mike. Uh, we've all been in that moment where you're triggered, you're ready to let loose, you know, with either the snarky comeback or the cuss word, the need to rage against the machine, or just, you know, as I always joke, the desire to shove uh, chocolate in my mouth. Not that I identify with that at all. But <laughs> I do talk about, a little bit humorously, but tongue-in-cheek, the 90 seconds where you can actually go from tight-ass to triumphant. And <laughs> nice. I think that there's this sacred moment, and I do mean sacred, between your reaction and your response, that if you let it, it will transform your life for the better. And it is this breath that you need to take. And there are a couple questions, of course, because I'm a question person, but without overthinking it, you got to answer the questions from your gut. You got to kind of say like, this is the first thing that comes to mind. I'm not going to overanalyze it. But the moment that you're triggered, The moment that you're just like, ah, you know, you're ready to rage, just stop, take a deep breath. And there's a science, not a woo-woo science, but there's actual science. We know from fMRI technology that that breath is going to get some oxygen to the brain. It's going to let you think versus just react. And then there are, there are four questions that I love. And the first one is, what would calm do now? So if you were unruffled, if you were unperturbed, if you could remove the absence of the hot air and that hot wind response, what would calm do? It doesn't mean you have to do it. I just want you to hold that question and what's your gut response. The second question is, what would grace do now? So if I were going to strengthen the situation or strengthen the relationship by my presence, by my grace, what would grace do now? The third one is, what would wisdom do now? In other words, if I really know better, then I should be doing better. So instead of reacting, what would wisdom do now? And then the last one is, what's the ideal response if my sincerest intent is to help, not hurt? Mm. And I like that. In fact, sometimes, and I'll, I'll just say that sometimes it is a vulnerable moment, 
We have to honor the fact that while we're sitting here saying these things, it doesn't mean that we always do it. We're human. So sometimes when I know that I'm going into a difficult conversation, I will on an index card, nerd that I am, I will write help or hurt question mark right in front of me. Because if I know that it's a difficult conversation where I might be triggered or I'm bringing some baggage to this or I've got some volatile feelings around this topic, just putting the words help or hurt question mark in front of me makes me visually remember, okay, before I open my mouth, I need to choose my words carefully and really think about whether what I'm about to say is going to get a resolution versus just amp up the emotions. Oh my gosh, that is that is amazing. So it's what would calm do? It's what would grace do? It's what would wisdom do? What was the last one again? What's the ideal response if my sincerest intent is to help not hurt? Oh my gosh, that that's that's incredible. I mean, have you ever seen the movie Inside Out? Yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh, it's it's like this is like a real life example of of those characters. I love that movie, <laughs> and I think that that I think part of the reason that that movie is so brilliant is that it didn't matter how old you were, you related to it. It was those basic human responses that we all experience. We're not alone. So this book that you've written, The Secrets Leaders Keep, is just the beginning. For you, you've got other things up your sleeve, I would imagine, I right? I do. I'm, I'm enjoying all the writing projects that I got going on right now. So what's one that you're most excited about? Well, the very next one that comes out that I'm actually, I'm not even done writing it. I'm, I'm still in draft form on a lot of it is The Secrets That He Keeps. And we, and oh. we just changed the title because it was going to be The Secrets Men Keep. Um, but there's there's been a lot of that. And it's not the type of, I'm, it's not a self-help book. It's actually a fiction book. More of these stories that are like in The Secrets, The Leader Keeps. But um, it's The Secrets He Keeps. And and is it is it geared toward like, like more toward, is it is it universal? Or is it geared more toward like this book you would want like women to, to read more than men because it would, Help relationships, or does it, or is it like agnostic in that sense? It is agnostic in that sense. In fact, what we're hoping is that men will read it so that they're not so hard on themselves, um, mm. and that women will read it so that they can be better understanding and and have um, a depth of compassion in a relationship with with their guy. And so, one of the things that I talk about is that you don't have to be perfect to be perfectly lovable. And so I want men to know that, you know, there's, yes, they have some basic secrets. The secrets all seem to fall into these three categories of mating, money, or manliness. But once they can figure out their own fears and their own missteps in these areas, they can be less hard on themselves and women can be more compassionate for their men. I love it. I love it. If there's one thing you want listeners to remember from our conversation today, what would that be? Have compassion and start asking questions. So two things, because I'm an overachiever. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and one of the most powerful things I think you shared with us today is is the is the change your thinking, change your behavior, and change your results. And it reminds me of another quote that I heard, which is "Think as so, act as so, and so it shall be," uh, which requires us to take courageous steps toward toward making change and maybe leaving the hood, as you put it in the, in the, in the book and, and being more vulnerable. And I, I really want to encourage everyone to go out and get the book. It's, it's phenomenal. Thank is you. this what, you, is this what you want to be remembered for? Yes, this is, 
I, I sat down and asked myself a question three years ago when my life sort of imploded is, well, then what's my legacy going to be? Mm. And that was the question of if, if I can't make a difference or if I can't have an impact over here, which is what I originally thought I wanted and it didn't work. Then I was like, well, then what, you know, what am I supposed to be doing? And I had to let go of a lot of things. Clearly that was my personal journey, but at the end of the day, I want to be known that I came to serve and I came with the one intent and that was to serve my fellow man and make it a little bit easier in this journey that we're all on. When things imploded, was that when you were working for the corporate America? Oh, no, that was a long time ago. And that was just a transition. That was, that was, oh, 16, 17 years ago now that I was just okay. like, nah, this isn't for me. And so I've actually had my business since 2000. Right on. Well, you know, we, we want to make sure that our listeners interact with you, connect with you. You're an incredibly generous person, super passionate and full of energy. I appreciate Uh, being invited. I am honored and humbled to be in your lineup. And I mean that sincerely. I'm thrilled to be here and I'm glad I had a chance to have this dialogue. Well, I think this is very important work that you're doing. So that's why I wanted to have you on the show because you definitely are impacting not only yourself and your team, but entrepreneurs around the world. So, So thank you very much. Where can people connect with you? The easiest place to connect is at amyk.com, and that is four letters, A-M-Y-K.com. I have to ask the question. You told me you told me in our, our pre, pre-interviewed chat, but my wife asked me last night, and I could not re- recall the story. Why she asked, is, is, is the K, like, attached to the name? Is that, <laughs> is that her name? So what, what's the story behind Amy Kay? Amy Kay is your first name. I wish I had some incredible, you know, I was macheting my way through the forest of Thailand story. But <laughs> I will tell you that I was late. I was late twice. You know, this is before the Internet, before you can change flights really quickly. And I ruined my grandmother's plans multiple times. And then I was born on Thanksgiving weekend. So I came in with a bang and I was the proverbial turkey butt. And so they slid the K over from my middle name, which is Kathleen, and they attached it to Amy because they felt that I was going to make my presence known my whole life. So I have been Amy Kay since I was two days old, which really means, Mike, I've been Amic, Amik, and Amok my whole life. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Amy Kay, thank you so much for impacting our listeners today. It was a blast having you on the the call, and I look forward to staying in touch with you. Thank you. Thank you, Amy Kay, for your enthusiasm and for generously sharing ideas with us on how we can overcome and work through and get rid of those secrets that we keep so that we can become better leaders and have a greater impact in the lives of others. Folks, go to the show notes page for a summary of our conversation and especially for a link to her incredible book, I promise you will highlight the heck out of that thing. So visit .theimpactentrepreneur.net forward slash 26 for all the key points and highlights. And while you're there, be sure to support our sponsors, the Lot Marketing Group and Unstuck Life Courses. We are blessed to have them as our partners. And don't forget about the Impact Insiders community, a closed Facebook group. You can join that community by going to theimpactentrepreneur.net forward slash groups and put in your email and we'll add you as soon as possible. Thank you, Cody and the Podcast Masters team for helping me produce a quality show and making this happen. Until next time, go make an impact.